Hey everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. We are in, this is the second segment with my good friend, Chris Bryant. And today we are having an open and honest discussion about the death of George Floyd and the state of race in America. And Chris, are you there, buddy? I am. Uh, hey, Johnny, I'm right, buddy. Uh, just really hey. quick, I just, I'm sorry. I, without your permission, I adjusted my monitor. Can you see me? Am I? Can you see me? Okay. You am look I, perfect, buddy. Looks like you've been uh, working out. You've been taking a couple things after me, huh? <laughs> just want to let you know. Hey, I just want to let you know that I've been. Uh, I'm up to 800 times of jumping rope, man. So I'm doing pretty good. Taking after you, okay, buddy. The 1,200 for me because I'm at 2,000. <laughs> Hey, Chris, we're going to jump right into this, and I appreciate you, but I got a lot of questions, a lot of hard okay. questions, a lot of difficult questions, a lot of uncomfortable questions from myself and from followers that want to know the answers to these questions. And we're going to kick things sure. off, Chris, with this one, and that is, have you ever felt you were pulled over by a police officer just because you were a black man? The driving while black thing. Um, yes, uh, two occasions, and, and that's a lot less than I guess uh, many black men would say. But there are two occasions that stands out. Uh, and interestingly enough, Johnny, the first one, I guess I'm late to the late to the game. The first one was actually last year. <laughs> seriously, the first one was in 2019. Really? Uh, seriously, man, I. And, and I'm sure some of that stuff has to do with, you know, it's a neighborhood thing. Uh, it definitely happens more at a concentrated level in lower income environments, but it also happens when you're not in an environment relevant to income, you're on a freaking interstate. So I would have to say I'm probably late to the game, but it happened last year uh, in December. It was late also, it was December of last year. I was in Indianapolis and I was driving a rental car, Johnny, and I was heading to an agency there. And I simply, I remember getting over into the right lane. I, I passed a police officer. I got into the right lane because my exit was coming in about maybe an, uh, a mile and a half. And I don't, uh, blue lights came on. I knew I wasn't speeding. I knew I didn't do anything wrong, blue light, but you know, still the lights are on, I've, I've got to pull, pull over. So when the officer came to the vehicle, um, I he introduced himself and he stated that uh, he pulled me over because I did not signal when I changed lanes. I thought that was quite minor and I, I couldn't I couldn't refute him because I honestly don't remember if I did or not. I mean, it's such a such a, a secondary thing or such a natural thing. We don't really think about it. So I, I could have I may not have. And I said to him, I said, okay, I wasn't aware of that. And he asked for my driver's license. And I would probably give him the license, went back, he ran the license and, and obviously he ran the plate. And he asked me about the vehicle. He, he, he said to me, he said, is this your vehicle? That is what he said. And I said, it is not my vehicle, it is a rental vehicle. And he said, uh, okay, he said, where did you rent it from? And I said, the vehicle is rented from the airport. And and I, I'm sure my tone changed, not disrespectful, but now becoming suspect and frustrated because you're asking me an irrelevant question. If the damn car hasn't been stolen, what, why are you curious about it? 
I think he noticed the change in my tone. It wasn't disrespectful, but I was attentive at that point. Um, and he gave my license back. I didn't even get a ticket for, as he say, not having not not having signal. Well, once I received my license, he asked me, was there a problem? I said, if there was, sir, I would actually tell you. And I think with him asking me that he was trying to incite. Well, I was I'm not going to be that easy of a target. I mean, I, 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 I'm smarter than that. End of story. OK, that was minor. But and I'm going to explain another. My second incident, which occurred pretty recently, was my very recently was minor. Also, I pulled up to a four way stop sign. I arrived at my stop sign probably a second or so before the officer arrived at his. He was going straight. I was going home. He was going straight. I was going left because I arrived at my stop sign first. I made the left hand turn. <laughs> Instantly, this man hit his lights. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I knew I had done nothing wrong. Couldn't be speeding. I just left the damn stop sign. And my community is pretty close by, so I didn't pull over immediately. I only went probably it was less than I don't know, maybe five hundred feet at the most, three hundred maybe. Made a left, and I pulled over. And now, here's what I do now. And I didn't do this in Indianapolis. And, and I know that I do this because of the incidents that we now hear about. And this is this is just something I do. It, for me, it's now a rule. In fact, that that Indianapolis incident is what created this rule for myself. When I pulled over, I put my car in park and I removed my seatbelt. And I have an app on my phone that has an audio recorder. I started the audio recorder and I sat there and I waited. The officer approached the window. Uh, he had already ran my place, and he when, it, when, it, when, it, when he approached cautiously, he said, uh, good, "Good, I think it was morning. I had just left the gym. Good morning, Mr. Bryant." I said, "I said good morning, sir." He said, uh, "I'm. I believe it was Officer. Well, I won't say his name. Uh, he told me his name. He introduced himself, and then he said, "I pulled you over for two reasons. One reason you may not be aware of." He said. Uh, so I'll first tell you, he said, so I'll tell you the first reason. Now, mind you, I put my, before he arrived at the window, I put my car in park and I removed my seatbelt. And again, I started my phone recorder. He said, number one, you were not wearing your seatbelt. And he hesitated. So then I spoke. I said, actually, I was wearing my seatbelt. I said, when I pulled over to the side, I put my vehicle in park and I removed my seatbelt. And I was wearing a dark shirt just as I am now. And he said, well, you're wearing a dark shirt. So in your seatbelt, obviously, is, is dark. It has a black strap. He said, so, OK, fine. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that. And, and he's respectful during the entire process. Uh, very cordial. And he said, the second reason, which you may not be aware of, is that your driver's side taillight is out. Now, that was surprising to me because most times when I'm home, I back in. And I can, particularly if it's at night, I can see the reflection of my taillights on one of the garage doors. So, and I, right. two days prior, Johnny, I know my lights were on. I know they were. It would have been evident because it was at night. Both lights ignited. So I saw and I said, well, you're right. I wasn't aware of that. I said, but two days ago, both my taillights were working, but things happened. I said, I, I wasn't aware. He said, okay, he said, things like that happen, not a problem. Uh, he said, I'm going to give you a verbal warning. So he took my license, went back, came back a couple of minutes later. And he gave me my license, said, Mr. Bryant, sorry for the inconvenience. Have a good day. All right. End of story. Now, those things are minor. 
But he, 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 here's the story. When I got home, it was daylight. It was morning. So I asked my wife to come outside and check to see if my taillights were working. Johnny, they were working. My taillights were working. So that tells me a police officer cannot just willy-nilly run your tag. They have to have probable cause. So that man stated that my taillight was out to justify him running my uh, tag and then, of course, pulling me over to ask for my license. He was on a searching expedition. He was looking yeah. for a reason. And the mere fact that that happened now, you know what? I see that as minor. But you know, no officer gets out of uh, uh, training class, police school, and go and kill an unarmed person. No, they build up to that. They have violations after violations that are unaccounted for. They have incidents that are that in internal investigations that they somehow uh, uh, exceed through that process without consequence. So that monster is building up. So just in case his incident was the minor part of what may become his monstrous behavior, I've decided to file a complaint. As minor as it was, I'm going to help him. I'm going to be his therapist. I'm going to help to ensure that he doesn't become the monster that could happen if he continues an unchecked behavior. Well done. Chris, me and you have talked before and I've talked to, you know, other black men and black women and they, when they have sons and daughters, they have what you call the talk. And I'm not talking about the birds and the bees. I'm talking about the talk. Can you explain to the people that don't know what the talk is? Can you explain what that means? Well, here's what's interesting, Johnny. Uh, a lot of times we get into colloquial things. Uh, we, we label it the talk, and you're correct about that. It's, it, it is the talk. Now, what's interesting, the talk that African-American fathers have with their son is really the same talk that many white fathers have with their son also. Now, And I've learned that. Now, there's a difference. The talk typically is pertaining to how do you conduct yourself when you're encountered by a police officer, that, you know, the rules of the game, so to speak. And I've talked to, 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 to Caucasian fathers who state they've shared the same thing with their son. They probably did not have to do so with such intensity, with such an evil foreboding, with such a heavy handed warning. That is the, the distinction. But the baseline of the talk needs to occur. No child is born knowing how to engage a police officer, be he black, white, or otherwise. So I think we all do that. Now, secondarily, what where it becomes a more concentrated endeavor and a necessity in the African-American community is because of the, uh, the over uh, reach of policing in the African-American community. The, the, the suspicion, the natural suspicion, not always justified, natural suspicion of white officers that are in those communities. Sometimes the embedded hate, anger, and resentment, sometimes uh, the cowardly reality of fear is within them. So because of that, there are more intense engagements when a white police officer pulls over and engages an African-American. And because of, so because of that, that conduct, it is not the existing or the being of a black person that requires the talk. It is the existing and being of a racist that requires the talk. And in that vein, uh, the talk is, which I've had with my son, I've told him, you know, of course, you, you got to make sure your driver's license are, are legitimate, your, 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 your tag, your insurance, all those common things. Uh, now, but, but the distinction, when a police officer approach, let him talk, Res listen carefully and respond, get his name because he too has an accountable party, obey his just, obey his commands. He has that authority. If he wants me to get out of the car, I'm going to get out of And I tell my son, get out of the car. 
Don't say I don't have to get out. No, get out of the damn car. Now, if you want, I tell my son, I've told him, if he wants to search your car, he has no right to do that. He, um, if he tells you, I've told my son, if he tell us, if I don't care, if you are wearing a triple white suit, if that man tells you for some reason that he wants you to get on the ground because he's going to arrest you, get on the damn ground. You can put the suit in the cleaners. So he's known, he has been told, and most black fathers will say this, yes, obey the police officer. So the talk is a general, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's intensity is cultural and racial. Its existence is, 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 is general. We all do it. Now, right. the problem with that, Johnny, excuse me, is that the talk is no longer, uh, is no longer sufficient. A rogue police officer knows that our son has had the talk. So he expects, for the most part, if there is compliance, that's not surprising to him. So new reasons have been gendered up to justify the extremity of action. Now, now police officers who are trained to take a life and, and, and in some cases not preserve a life, trained to deal with all manner of, 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 of they're trained in physical combat, they're trained in defense mechanism, but now every police officer that lays a bullet in a black man fear for his life, even if the black man had no gun. So the talk has become insufficient which once again has led to the riot or the protest and which leads to the riot, which is synonymous with looting. Chris, I have a couple, you know, literally with only 10, 12 minutes to go, I have some really, really I'll, tough I'll have, questions. I'll, I'll have shorter answers. I'll try to have shorter answers. No, right? so no, 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 no. But there, no, it's great. It's great. But there are some questions here that I want to make sure that I get in because these are, are tough questions and it's tough for me to even come out of my mouth. But Chris, one of them is this. How do you feel when an African-American uses the N-word and then a non-African-American uses the N-word? You know, you asked that question, you framed that question the right way. Because you said, how do I feel? So that's very good. I can relate to that easily. I don't even have to think about it. When an African-American uses the N-word, I don't like it, truth be told, Johnny, because this is derogatory either way as far as I'm concerned. I don't like it, but I can handle it. I can handle it because I know if it comes with venom from him, it's because he's angry. He's not angry because I'm black. <laughs> he's just angry, use the damn term. <laughs> uh, so he can use that same term and be in love. He doesn't really need to be in love with me, but to love and love me. He can say, fuck up, my, and I don't want him to say that. But I'm not going to count. Now, if he says it in, or, uh, in public around a lot of people, I just might have to counsel him. But if he says it in private, I'm not, look, I'm not going to school or counsel him. I know where his heart is. If he says it with venom, again, he's not saying that because he's called, that is his intent. He's saying it because, unfortunately, that has become birthed inside of his language. And that's not a good thing. Now, on the other behalf, when it's stated by our racial counterparts, Johnny, it goes back to the origin of the derogatory term, N-I-G-E-R, is a Latin word for black. That's a legitimate term. The doubling of the G and a venomous addition to it, we know that harkens back to slavery. Nothing granted, nothing nothing that was a, 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 a enacted at slavery, during slavery, was a positive thing. It was venomous. It was angry, mean-spirited, demoralizing. The origin of the word from the race and body of people 
that invented that word can never be separated. So yes, there's no way any person of color will feel the same about that word being expressed by someone who is not of their race. Having said all of that, I don't practice that word. When I did, when I was younger, I'm sure I said it a few times. I'm sure I've said it as an adult, but my family just didn't tolerate it. My, my parents, it's, it's, it, we, we, were, we were better than that. We were taught to be better than yeah. that as a family and as a community. So uh, to conclude that point, there's a huge distinction and it would never be looked upon as parody if it's stated by a person that is not of African-American. Okay, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you um, putting that in the right terminology so we can all understand that. And this is another tough one for me to even express to you and ask you this question, and that is, what is the acceptable way to address a person of color? And what I mean by that, there are so many things, like someone just said the other day that, you know, if you say African-American, that's not the right way to say it. You can't say a black man, a black woman. What is the acceptable way to address a person of color? Please explain that to all of us. Okay, really quickly, we're not that sensitive. I think think that's that's kind of a, a, not an extreme question, but it's an extreme concern. Uh, we know the N-word is not acceptable. We know color is not acceptable because that was a 60s term uh, during, during, during Jim Crow. Okay. Now, as it relates to black or African-American, it's interchangeable. I say it. I say it almost you know, unconsciously. Uh, the African-American terminology itself was really brought to bear by Reverend Jesse Jackson, who is still respected today, but in, in, enormously respected during the time that he helped. Now, he didn't coin that phrase, but he placed that as an acceptable term. We accept that because we are from Africa. It's also a way to remind the United States of why we are here and how we got here. (laughs) So that's the truth of who we are. We are of African descent. That's a good thing. There's no shame there. Uh, And we are also black. So, uh, you know, our people embrace them both. I see on many applications uh, when races is, is, is requested is African-American slash black. It can be either or, and you will not find an okay. offense from either of us, for most African-Americans, except those who are being, in my uh, viewpoint, uh, petty and a little hypersensitive. Okay, thank you, Chris, I appreciate you. And this is a question that came in on Twitter today, a private message, and that is, Chris, how do you feel when the president of the United States of America says in a tweet, when the looting starts, the shooting starts? How does that make you feel? Well, Johnny, I'll be, as most of us, we many people have become desensitized to the rhetoric of President Trump, point blank. I mean, he's, look, he, he came onto the campaign uh, with, with the birther movement, which we knew what most people, any intelligent person knew was a bunch of crock. America would never be so uh, 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 negligent as to allow a black man that's not of this nation to become president. Okay, so that was a bunch of crock. But my point is that he's always uh, uh, said things that, that were insensitive to the point where now it's an echo chamber, uh, it's not being engaged. It doesn't surprise me that he said it, said it, but because we are a rudderless ship, we, tip, we actually we have uh, we have a head uh, body at the desk, but we have no head of leadership. So I don't even know that that was even taken in the manner in which he spewed the rhetoric, uh, except by extremists and extremists don't even need a reason or excuse. They're going to do it anyway. 
So it didn't offend me. It, it was part of what people see as his trail uh, of stupidity. I'm sorry to say that. No, I'm not sorry. It was part of what people see as his trail of stupidity. So it wasn't offensive. And fortunately, really quickly, there's a chief of police in Houston who spoke against that. Those police are not weak. They have on riot gear. They're trained to take people down. Those are college students, Black Lives Matter, white people who are doing the same thing. They're young people. They can take them out in a moment, Johnny. We know that. So they're not being weak. They're being considerate of the body of people they're dealing with. Most of the police officers, the chief of police, though the governors, they have children in college. Mayor de Blasio in New York, his daughter was protesting. She herself got arrested. So what they realize, those who have the will or the right and the ability to pull the trigger, you spray too many bullets, you might kill your grandchild. And they realize that. So I don't think Trump's rhetoric in that regard holds any weight. Okay, good. I, I appreciate you. Chris, do you feel uncomfortable when you are in a crowd of people and you are the only one that is, you know, an African-American? Like, do you feel uncomfortable when you are the only black man in a certain area? Is that uncomfortable for you? Is that uncomfortable for any black man or black woman? Well, listen, your first question first. By no means is it uncomfortable for me. I mean, thankfully, Johnny, I mean, I grew up in a middle, depending on where we were at the economic, economically, middle to upper middle class community. So, and it was an all black community with with some shadows of white, uh, but the education and the confidence was there. So no, we we dined at restaurants that were mixed or sometimes all white. So no, it, I'm accustomed to that. I actually graduated from an all Jewish high school. I only intend, attended that Jewish high school my last year of high school, but it was a great experience for me. So no, I'm accustomed to that. I, if I'm the only black person in the room, then I have a chance to be a shining example of, of, of black life and culture. I like it. I don't have to compete with the other black people in that environment. <laughs> I have a chance to make a positive mark myself. So now it's perfectly fine. But those who have only lived in environments where it was all black or, or in lower income areas, that lower income areas do have white people as well, but lower income, all black areas, they may be uncomfortable in that environment. So I think it has a lot to do with upbringing, has a lot to do with self-confidence, has a lot to do with aspirations. Me? No, I'm okay either way. And Chris, I've I've seen you in action, and and you're right. You are a class act all the way, 100%. So again, this is a a question that I have to ask you, Chris, and this might be kind of weird, but between um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, who do you feel (laughs) has the greatest level of respect in the African-American community? Johnny, I applaud you. Good question, Uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I haven't squirmed this entire damn session. You made me move a little. Listen, uh, (laughs) both both are heralded in a honorable and a heroic way. Both are. Now, if you ask me that question during the presidency of Barack Obama, I would say most if if most African Americans would have chosen if they can have either of the two back today, they would have chosen Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They would have also chosen him during the era of 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 uh, President Clinton. 
if you ask that question today, I will absolutely irrefutably and most blacks will say Malcolm X because Johnny in life, we have times of peace and times of war. The person that is your counselor in times of peace may not need to be the same person that's your counselor in times of war. So we have a president who stokes and foments racism, dangerous racism. Turning the other cheek might not be the most uh, uh, beneficial answer at this point. Now you don't fight, you don't, you don't, at times you don't fight fire with fire with fire. No, no, no. Malcolm X was not violent. He was just defensive, but he wasn't violent. He knew he knew to not start a war with America. Look, Farrakhan himself stated years ago what you what a black what what the, what, what the nation of black men don't want to do start a gun battle with the United States. <laughs> so black people are aware of that, but nor what the nation of blacks want to do is be a victim of those who are care who who has no regard for peace no regard for turning the other cheek, no regard for, for defense. So because of the type of figure that we have leading this country, same thing as you stated, the looting starts, shooting starts, you have to defend yourself. So it depends on the time and the generation, Johnny. They both have purpose. Chris, I can't thank you enough, and I'm gonna wrap it up with this. You know, okay. darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's what Martin Luther King said. And in the end, you'll remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And Chris, I can't Amen. thank you enough for hanging out with me this last hour. Chris, you are a class act. I love you. You are my brother from another mother. You are amazing. I can't thank you enough for just coming on and hanging out with me, buddy. Thank you, Johnny. And thank you to your audience. All right. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Don't forget, you can follow me at MotivationalCowboy.com and get all my links there. We'll see you next time right here with Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy.